Welcome to Why in the World. My name is Ben Shepard. I'm really excited for you to hear today's episode. He's protected boats against pirate attacks and has completed endurance challenges in some of the most dangerous places in the world. He's now putting his skills to use as a hunter on the TV show Hunted and has another huge project called Rowing Dangerously coming up. Jordan Wiley is on Why in the World. Right, so as we're recording this, it's uh, early morning on a Tuesday. We're in Liso Castle on the Wirral, um, and Jordan Wiley is with me. Hey, man. Hello. How are you? Very good. How's it going? Yes, I'm good, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Uh, in between, you're a hunter on Hunted at the moment, aren't you? I am. We am. We, we're, we're, we're chasing fugitives around the UK, and uh, we've, we've, got a, uh, you know, we've got a bit more to do yet, but we're getting there. It's a little bit different to your previous life, and a little bit probably funner than military life I would imagine how did you get here how did you get to this point being a being a hunter on hunted yeah it's um you know you look back at life I think and you see these different junctions and and sort of roundabouts and turns and for me it was one of the very specialist jobs I had in the military was what they call a prisoner handler tactical questioner and interrogator which is quite a mouthful wow. <laughs> but essentially put that what on it means business card. yeah yeah put that on your business card <laughs> essentially what it meant was was extracting information from uh, suspected terrorists the bad guys if you like in places like Iraq and and so on you know it's quite a niche skill it's quite a specialist k- uh, skill that not many people in the military have and it was a skill that the the channel 4 I guess producers and executives thought might be useful on this show and for me you know it's 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 great fun um, I get to sort of utilize some of those skills that I learned many years ago and I meet some incredible people and I think life's always been about traveling and meeting people for me I think it's the best education in the mm. world and that's what you, you get paid to do on this show which is great how did the journey into the military start for you I think for me it was probably a process of elimination you know if if the truth be told I was not the brightest kid um, I was probably, dare I say it, a bit of a naughty boy growing up. You know, I grew up in Blackpool and, and I didn't have a tough upbringing, but, I, you know, Blackpool's quite a deprived area. Um, I lived on a council estate. But, you know, whatever I lacked sort of materialistically, I, I gained in love and support from a family, but I was never interested in, in education, in school, you know, and sport was always the thing for me. Mm. Um, if I could kick a ball around or run around a track or, you know, whatever it was, that was me occupied and that was my focus. And, I always thought, I guess like many little boys, that I was going to be a footballer. That was the dream. Uh, I played at some, some, a good standard as well from the age of sort of 12, 13. I was at Preston North End, Blackpool, Wimbledon, trialled at places like Man City. Um, but unfortunately, 16 years old, I was released and it wasn't to be. And mm. I guess there was a reality check there then saying, you know, well, okay, where do you go from here? And when you've not really applied yourself at school, um, which is something I'm not proud of, you know, and it's something I try and... I don't know, you probably remember yourself when you were at school and, and the older generation would say, the school days are the best days of your life, you'll always regret them. And, and people think it's a cliche and it isn't, you know, they, they were the best days. And actually, I'm not one of these people who says I've got no regrets because I've got loads of regrets. And actually studying and working hard at school was definitely one of those things that if I could do again, you know, I would really apply myself because as I've grown up, I've come to understand that education uh, is so important and it can open up lots of opportunities for you which is actually why I've gone back, having left school with no GCSEs over the last six or seven years. You know, I've done my foundation degree, my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, and it's opened up another world for me personally mm. um, because I've sort of got the experience as a, as a practitioner, but now I've got the academic sort of perspective. And I think, 
you know, I'm not saying English, maths and science and, and those sort of key subjects are the most important things in the world. I think you've got to find a passion, find something that you enjoy, find something that you love and then pursue it. And for me, security and risk management after the military was always a, an area that I've been fascinated with. And I don't mean it in, in the sort of the context of security and sort of, you know, locks and chains and CCTV. I mean, you know, managing risk in terms of expeditions, adventures, different types of risks. Mm. Um, so it's, it's uh, you know, find what, find what, you know, what you enjoy, what you love and, and, and push it as far as you can is, is what I believe. I think it's hard for you as well because obviously every, everything you've done from leaving school at 16 has brought you to this point as well. So it's kind of like your life's journey to this point was and is because you left school at 16 and because you went into the military. But it's that realisation, isn't it? And that looking back and thinking, ah, right, okay, so maybe I should have tried a little bit harder then. I think that sometimes people don't really reflect on things like that and they kind of just let it go and don't, you know, do something about it. Like you said, you've gone back, you've done all this stuff, you've educated yourself. Some people would have just let it go and just let that regret hang over their heads, whereas you've gone back and actually done something about it, which is, I mean, very admirable. I would say. Would you encourage other people to go back and do stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think you mentioned uh, a word there, which I've come to learn is very important um, in life. And certainly for me over the last few years, and that was reflection. Mm. You know, I think reflection and, and sort of looking back, I think we're so focused this day and age and we get this tunnel vision on what's next, what we're doing at the moment. We stop to just take a little sort of a pause and a condom moment and think, well, that's a look what we've achieved so far because we're so, we're so, focused on moving forward and what's next what's next what's next and we, we can often sort of as I say get that tunnel vision but reflection is, is, is critical for, for for growth for personal growth for professional growth because it's analyzing what you've done and taking the lessons some of the the best lessons we learn are often when we've got it wrong and then we, we sort of test and adjust reapply ourselves and go again that also makes us really resilient as people which is incredibly important you know for me when I look back at the military that is something that I definitely didn't regret it, it probably taught me the best life lessons Money could never buy the lessons that you learn from the the armed forces. I was, I was very proud and privileged to serve Her Majesty the Queen and wear the uh, the uniform of the British Army. And I think the biggest thing I've learned, and actually it's something that I continue to hold very close to my heart every day, are the core values that the the military teach you. We talk about respect, courage, integrity, loyalty, discipline, selfless commitment. And to a lot of people, they'll just be sort of throwaway words and terms, mm. but I try to embed what these mean in, in every aspect of my life. You know, the way I conduct myself, the way I talk to people, um, the way I build relationships, the way I try to help people. These are all values that the military taught me. They're ingrained in you from day one and you build and you build on them. And I, and I don't think for me, you ever stop building on them. You're always questioning yourself are you doing the right thing? Are you doing what you should be doing and not what you want to be doing? And I think the military for me it allowed me to look at myself and hold myself accountable for all my actions. Yeah. Certainly a lot of the work I do today is revolving around uh, charities uh, and children in conflict and war zones. And I think... I think the military taught me that, you know, the world is a tough place. And when you get to some of these conflicts and war zones, um, actually, you come home and you realise that we're very fortunate to live in a society where it's relatively safe, relatively peaceful. And people don't have the opportunities that I certainly have and, and many of us have. And we should help others where we can because, you know, there are a lot of people less fortunate than us. You spoke very openly about your mental health as well, particularly after coming out of the military. Was that something that you struggled with? Um, to be very honest, when I was in the military, I've never struggled, um, that I'm aware of anyway, with uh, any mental health issues. Clearly, a lot of soldiers go into conflict zones and, 
things like post-traumatic stress is a big issue and a hot topic at the moment. Uh, that was never something um, I don't believe has affected me to date. The sort of the bombs and the bullets and the, the conflict and the war zones that I worked in, I'm, I'm not saying I'm happy, I'm certainly be the wrong term, but I'm, I'm content with what I've seen, what I've experienced. I actually believe in a, a sort of the notion of post-traumatic growth and, mm. and the sort of theory that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger and, and you can become a better person from taking the lessons from some of these incidents, some of these sort of, I guess, atrocities that we may have experienced or seen. My mental health was primarily based around, I guess, the things that we all experience, relationship breaks downs, family issues, um, and those sort of challenges. I was uh, in a 10-year relationship and it broke down quite quickly. I was working away a lot. I wasn't there for my family. That took its toll on me and took its strain on me. And when my sort of former partner moved on and then all of a sudden you've got your 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 daughter or your child living in another household with another male role model, that's really tough for anybody, especially mm. when family is one of the most important things to you. And, to, and in this day and age of social media where, you know, you go online and you're seeing, as I say, another male in your child's life, that's, that's really tough. And yeah. I'm sure a lot of people out there can probably relate to that because... I don't, I don't even think it's something that you ever get over. You just sort of learn to live with as a father. You want to be that leading role model. You want to teach your son or daughter the life lessons. You want to, you know, harness uh, where they go in life and, and try and support them in every aspect. And when you're not seeing them every day anymore, that's, that's really, really challenging. And I think, I hope I'm a good father, but when you're not there every day for, for your family, you know, it's really tough. And I think you also take it for granted and you really, is, is that old sort of expression of you don't know what it's got till it's yeah. gone. And again, lots of lessons from me that I try to apply in new relationships from, from the way I behave. Because I think, I think I was probably quite selfish on reflection and I don't mind saying that. I, I often put my professional career and my, uh, my job and, and, and workplace before, you know, uh, my relationship at the time. And that was probably detrimental to, to how it all went, went pear-shaped. But, you know, I, you, you can't dwell on that. You can't, you've got to keep moving forward, take the lessons, as we say, and, and move on because otherwise, you know, you do become affected by it. And I certainly was, you know, to a very low point in my life. And Again, I think though, it's very admirable that you can sit back and reflect on that and kind of admit some of those mistakes as well, because a lot of people wouldn't do that. And it's pretty powerful, I think, to a lot of people to be able to see you who has been in the military for 10 years and has done some pretty big things and been on some pretty big missions in the military to sit back and say, well, I'm just like any other guy, actually. I'm just like, you know, you or a mate or someone else that might be affected by mental health or family breakdowns or whatever. That's a pretty powerful thing. I also think me and many others, people like yourself too, anyone who, not that, that I have a, a big profile or a voice of influence, but if people are listening and you know they're listening, you, I think it's important to share the lessons mm. you're learning along the way. You know, having that conversation could be the difference, uh, tragically, between life and death, um, especially in the in the veterans community, but not just in the veterans community, you know, male suicides, for example, you know, between ages of sort of 25, 35 are through the roof. It's incredible. Shoot. It's very sad. And a simple conversation could literally be the difference. Sometimes it's not even, you don't even have to say anything. It's just somebody there to listen to you. And I think, you know, for me, I went to, I went to psychotherapists, psychologists, I went to the doctors um, and acceptance is, is a big part of that as well. You know, it takes you a long time to accept and say, do you know what? I probably have got an issue that I need mm. to deal with here. I still take medication today for 
um, severe depression with chronic anxiety. I don't feel in a bad place anymore. Mm. But as soon as I come off that medication, I can feel myself deteriorating quite quickly, which is it's not something that I like. You know, I'm not I'm not somebody who wants to promote getting pharmaceuticals or drugs to help with your problems. But if they do help, you know, it's something to consider. Um, for me, my my I don't, again, I don't mind sharing. My objective this year is to be by January 2020 to be sort of drug free from anything. You know, and I've come down over the last three years. But you know, it, it is what it is, and I think we have to talk about it. We have to share our, our lessons because it may just help someone. And if it only helps one person out of anyone who's listening, you know, it's it's, it's one really... more than it would have, wouldn't it? So exactly, absolutely. That. And if anyone is listening who wants to have a chat with someone who's not going to judge him, who doesn't know him, you know, contact me anytime because I'll, I, you know, I, I think that was a big thing for me speaking to a stranger who I didn't know, who wasn't going to judge me, uh, who wasn't going to have an opinion about me. It was just somebody to listen uh, who was very neutral, and I think that goes a long way. So coming from your military background, from that ten-year career in the military, how did this adventurer? become kind of born how was the adventurer in Jordan born or like nurtured or do you think it was always there yeah I think it was probably always there but I've only sort of over the last sort of five years I guess realized that actually you know life is passing us by and Mm. we need to jump out and get on the train of opportunity and see where it takes us and you know I, I always say to children actually when I talk in schools that life is think of life like a freight train that's just passing us by and we're sort of stood on the platform And these carriages are all opportunities and the train never stops to tell you it's an opportunity jump on. You know, you just have to throw yourself at it and see where that journey takes you. And often it takes you to some incredible places, but only you can do something about that. You know, there's so many people. I remember my father said to me many, many years ago when I was growing up, he said, he said, Jordan, he said, son, he said, in life, there are talkers and there are doers. And he said, you know, you, you want to be in that smaller category if you're going to have a real adventure in life. And and I, and I meet people who talk a good game every day. And for me, it's not about saying, you know, I'm, I'm better than you or anything like that. It's about it's about fulfillment because you can go through life and be successful, but fulfillment is very different than success. It's, in fact, it's at the other end of the spectrum. And fulfillment for me isn't about materialistic things. It isn't about money. It isn't about having your name up in lights. It's about, it's it's an internal feeling that you can't buy. You know, you have to experience it and go to these these special places. And for me, I get that fulfillment from adventure, but adventure with a purpose. So to help, you know, build a school or to help provide education for some children, that is the most important for me, you know, to make a difference. The adventure is just a great, sexy, fun way of doing it, um, which is, is, is what I enjoy. I mean, charity-wise now, you've raised a serious amount of money, over a million pounds you've raised over the course of your challenges and over the course of the years. Why have you chosen to predominantly raise money for kids in war zones? I think that was probably one of the things that that affected me a lot. And again, I didn't realise that until after the military. I think you talk to a lot of uh, veterans or soldiers and they they will often talk about being in gunfights, being in firefights, dealing with the enemy, the bombs going off, the bullets and all that. But actually, that was not something that's ever been at the forefront of my mind. For me, when I reflect back on operations... Obviously, I I think about people who we've lost and colleagues and friends, but one of the things that stands out to me more than most is the children's faces that I saw. And when I lie in bed at night, you know, if I'm having a sort of a little think to myself, a little reflection, it'll always be those, it'll always be these sort of certain faces that pop up in my mind and of these children that I'd seen. And they're not even really, they're not even children that I had extensive interactions with they're just children that might have been at the side of the road you know waving or something and I always see these sort of there's about five or six of these children's faces that I see 
I just think in a war zone, there are a conflict zone, there is a sheer innocence about children because, you know, as an adult, you can up sticks and move away. You can change the, your destiny to a certain extent. But as a child, you know, it is what it is. You grow up there, you live there, you experience it. Quite recently, I met a child from Syria who was six, seven years old and they had only ever known war and they'd become sort of acclimatized condition to the war zone environment where a bomb going off a mile away didn't even affect them. They carried on, you know, on the skipping rope on the playground because that's all they've ever known. And that is a, that's an incredible thing to, to, to hear about and to see because, you know, what child deserves that, you know? Yeah, you look back at your childhood as well then, don't you? And you flash back and you think, God, like, yeah. we were so lucky. Well, that's what I mean. I said before that I was a naughty little boy, but when I look at society today, actually, I was probably an angel. You know, I, I just listening to the news in my in my room there while I was having a shower in the hotel, and I, I see in in Birmingham, London, and, and Liverpool, and Manchester over the next two weeks, they're rolling out catastrophic bleeding packs for knife attacks in nightclubs, and the training the staff that, and we're placing all these like medical packs around nightclubs now as if it's become normal that people yeah. are getting stabbed, which is just incredible. It's such a problem as well at the moment, isn't it? Knife crime in this country is just huge. Yeah, I think I, I, I don't know why or what, or, or what the, you know, the cause of the main problem is, but the value of life seems to be so low these days. You know, people don't think twice about you know, pulling a gun out or, or sticking a knife in someone, which is just incredible. And you know, what, what message are we sending to the next generation? Because for me, it's not just about children in war and conflict zones. We know we have issues in the UK where children are on the front line, whether it's through homelessness, whether it's through poverty, you know, inspiring them is just as important to me as inspiring, you know, the, the, the children overseas, um, mm. because they're, they're, they're not, there are children, they're the future they're, they're of this country. So last year, let's talk about the challenge, the Running Dangerously Challenge, which was, Completely bonkers, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. And um, for people that don't know or may not have seen, just explain the challenge itself. Yeah, so, you know, my adventures, my challenges, expeditions, I like to get off the beaten track, you know. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> go where the Wi-Fi is weak and where they haven't built a Starbucks yet and, and so on. So, uh, yeah, I try to do things differently. I guess that's probably a reflection of my, my personality. But I wanted to run through the three most dangerous countries in the world, which were Iraq, Afghanistan and Somalia. Um, I wanted to do a 10K, a half marathon, a full marathon in, in these countries. I wanted to go back to a place that I'd served. I wanted to go and sort of, I, I, not that I had lots of demons about these places, but I had, I guess, it felt like unfinished business. You know, I'd only ever seen them from a soldier's perspective. I'd never been there as a civilian. So I wanted to go back there without carrying a weapon and, you know, in, in peace in, and, and, to, and to meet some of the people and also commemorate the friends and the families of the, the soldiers that I'd lost when I served or worked in these places. It was an incredible challenge and, you know, one of the most, I guess, fulfilling things I, I, I've ever done to, to go back to these countries and also to challenge the people's perceptions because everyone, you switch on the news and the media controls our minds these days, you know. If you switch on the news and you look at Iraq, Afghan, Somalia, it would say, do not go ever near these places. They are tragic, they are terrible, they are full of bad people. But actually, I wanted to challenge people's perceptions because I met some of the most incredible people, which is often the case when you go to these, these sort of far-fetched foreign lands. You meet people that are incredibly inspiring. There's incredible stories of humanity and, 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 and giving and wellness and so many things, but we never see those, those sort of niceties. People are so happy. Yeah, people always got a smile on the face, despite what sort of adversity they face around them. You know, we, we get up in the morning in this country and we're moaning about the weather, uh, you know, and, and you go to the other side of the world and people, I always find people are so welcoming as well. Do you know, 
people welcomed me into their homes, their houses, they fed me, they watered me, they gave me a bed for the night. They were complete strangers to me. We wouldn't even, I wouldn't even see that in this country, you know, and when I'm, when I'm at the other side of the world in a, in a, in a, in a so-called war zone or a conflict area, um, people are always, always want to give. So yeah, it was a, an incredible challenge. I, I went out to these countries. As you can imagine, there were lots of challenges along the way. And there were security challenges, you know. Yeah, I was going to ask, obviously, it is still a war zone. So security-wise, how did that work? So I managed a lot of the security myself in uh, in Somalia and Afghanistan. I was completely alone, if you like. I was with no security. But in Iraq, I had a security team that was based in Iraq, uh, which was sponsored to me, which was very kind. You know, I'm a risk manager. I'm used to managing risk. I've worked in war and conflict zones uh, for, for a lot of my life. I didn't underestimate it. I took it very seriously. You know, I was continually assessing those risks and threats along the way. For example, in Somalia, I went to Mogadishu, which is sort of renowned as one of the world's most dangerous cities. And tragically, before I arrived, a suicide bomb had gone off and killed over 600 and injured more than 1,000. And, you know, we, we looked at the situation and we decided it was probably too risky to be a sort of a, a white Westerner running through you know, a predominantly Muslim country. I was probably one of the only people that I saw with, you know, with white skin, so I would have stood out a long way and that could have been a very high-profile target, especially as a former soldier for, yeah. for one of these militia groups um, that, that, that would love nothing more, I'm sure, to, to, to get hold of me. So we decided to move it to the north of Somalia to a place called Somaliland, which, again, was like a, a world apart because I ran in the first mixed-gender first ever mixed gender 10 kilometer race alongside women and children which again challenges a lot of the, the the perceptions that people might have in a muslim country to see men children women running alongside each other talking engaging because that isn't what the news and my experience has ever told me that would happen um so i was quite surprised by that and incredibly peaceful it was a different part of somalia but you know i, I was welcomed with open arms and fascinating country and one that i'm delighted that i went to you seem very at home with the risk yeah, I, you know, I am. I, 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 you know, some people say to me, "Oh, it's a bit reckless going to these places," but it's not reckless because you know, I'm. I've, I've thought, for example, my next project, rowing dangerously. You know, I'm, I, there's so many risks involved, and I spend you know a large proportion of every day looking at those risks, checking up. I've, uh, is the is the risk landscape changing? You know, on the next challenge, we've got sharks, we've got terrorists, we've got ships, and. We, we're looking in fine, fine detail. We're dipping the boat in shark repellent. We're che- <laughs> checking AIS receivers on ships. We, you know, the, every every angle is covered. I'm not obviously. There's an element of risk always because that's why it's dangerous. And certainly, if it's a world first, that's why it's never been done before. Often because it's too dangerous. For me, it's about pushing the boundaries. It's about showing people what is possible because life's full of people that will talk you out of of, of doing what you want to do. It's full of people that, has, that have already given up on their dreams and objectives and ambitions and these are around us all the time but for me it's about nothing motivates me more than somebody telling me you can't do that or it can't be done you know I, I, I want to prove it to, that he can Between these two big risky things though with running dangerously and rowing dangerously there has been something in the middle that's sort of a little bit a little bit less risky if you will in the 15 marathons in 15 days across the national parks, which was an amazing challenge that you did a couple of months ago Yeah, 8 to 10 weeks ago I... I was approached by the UK National Parks and the National Trust to see if I wanted to help raise awareness 
um, of the national parks, which was which was a great initiative, really. They're on our doorstep, and we often think that we have to go to the other side of the world for an incredible adventure. Mm. But actually, we're surrounded in the UK by all this natural beauty that's never been explored, most of it. You know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that I'd never visited all the national parks in my lifetime. And in fact, I haven't even visited 50% of them, which was, was incredible, really. You know, we, I sort of grew up in Blackpool, so I've been to the Lake District and, the, you know, the Yorkshire Dales. But places like... You know, the Cairngorms in Scotland, Loch Lomond, the New Forest, just across the country, wherever you go, there is an incredible part of the UK that needs to be explored more. The National Park said, do you want to get involved and go and have a look at some of these? And I said, it's a two-week initiative. I said, what about if I run through them and do a marathon in each <laughs> Let's one? Let's talk about the timescale, because it was literally a week before that these guys got in contact and said, do you want to do this? And you, to that point, had run one marathon, which was the marathon that you ran in Running Dangerously. So you'd run one marathon, then you're going to go and do 15 back-to-back. <laughs> yeah, it probably was uh, a little bit crazy. And actually, you know, we look at the sort of the running and the rowing dangerously and the big expeditions, and I physically and mentally prepare well in advance, a year in advance for these. You know, I'm working towards these goals where this one was literally four days I think and I said you know what we'll go for it you know what's the worst that can happen we have to drop out and fail but it, we, we give it a go we roll the dice and, and see how we get on you know I, I, don't, I don't think it's a Richard Branson or somebody said sign up and work the rest out later and, and see where it takes you a bit of naivety sometimes as well isn't <laughs> yeah, it like why so. not why not we were talking about before the mics went on like a lot of people will not even try because they're scared of failure failure is obviously not something that really concerns you too much well, failure is important. One, as we said before, you learn a lot of lessons from failure, but also the fear of failure. If you can harness that and if you can, you can often use it as a motivating factor. I think we're wired in a way that, you know, that the human mind is designed to protect us. So anything that's scary, anything that's risky, anything that might cause us embarrassment, anything that might hurt us straight away, the mind says, step away and, and walk in the opposite direction. Whereas if we just change our perspective and open our mind a bit, we could look at that challenge or that adventure or that expedition and, and see opportunity. And that's what I started, I started to do a few years ago and say, well, actually, I'm going to go to some most incredible places that most people in the world have never been. I can tell, meet new people, tell new stories. And yes, yeah, so, so I think it's just about changing the way you look at a problem or a challenge. It's, it's that old sort of analogy of, you know, is it a stumbling block or is it a stepping stone, mm. you know? And they can often be the same thing, but it's just a different approach and a different way of looking at something. Talking earlier about reflection, have you had a chance to sit back and look at like your life CV and see everything you've done from the military, from the private work? I know the pirate stuff in Somalia <laughs> and stuff like that, which is completely bonkers. If they want to go and actually find the story the Somalia pirate story where do people go and get that there's a book isn't there yeah there's a book out I I, am very fortunate um, or unfortunate depending on how you look at life I was involved in an incident um, about eight years ago now where after my military career the sort of first jobs that I had were armed security team leader protecting ships from pirates off the coast of Africa both east and west and uh, pirates boarded my ship off the coast of Somalia um, and they, they, they were obviously trying to hijack the ship and kidnap the crew and I was one of the crew and I was in charge of security that day and if you want to find what, what happens you have to go to Waterstones <laughs> and buy the book that's where I was going I was going let's make sure he gets that yeah, point yeah. And go and definitely do that but like sitting back and looking at this live CV all the challenges you've done and all the challenges you've got coming up do you feel proud of yourself? do I feel proud of myself? that's a good question um, 
you know, there's, there's, I think there's certain aspects of, of, of my life and my career that I'm very proud of. You know, serving my country, for example, is, is, is for me better than any award, any, any medal, any trophy to serve your country as a, as a, as a veteran and to wear, you know, once a year, twice a year, I go on parades like Remembrance Day, wear my medals and probably no prouder day than doing that still. And, and you know, I wasn't a prolific soldier. I was not someone who won any, you know, superhero gallantry awards. I'm, I was very much a, nor- a normal guy from a normal family. Um, but very proud to have served my country. But there's also lots of aspects of my life that I'm not proud of, um, as I as I mentioned earlier. I think it's important to talk about those, to highlight those, reflect on those, and take the lessons. But you know, as, as I said, I'm not somebody who who has no regrets because I've got loads of them. But I I try and you know better myself all the time. I always say to people, there's when when I when I sort of talk to children or, or the next generation in schools, I always try and share three pieces of advice. I always say, I call it my Jordan's ABC rule. A for attitude. Attitude is absolutely everything. I think attitude will take you so far in life. You don't have to have the right qualifications, the right experience, but if you have got the right attitude, you know, you'll normally go a long way. People will give you a chance. People will listen to you. Doors will open. I always say, B, build relationships everywhere you go. You know, you never know who you're going to meet. You know, treat everyone with respect, regardless of their position, their title, and see continuous professional development. You know, never stop learning. And I guess they all link into each other with attitude and build relationships. And if you can keep your mind open, I think listening is a skill that's often undervalued and underused because, you know, when we're talking, we're just regurgitating information that we already know. And also sometimes just thinking about the next response as well, like yeah. particularly in like arguments and stuff like that. You're actually not taking in what the other person is saying a lot of the time you're just sitting there thinking how can I beat this person 100% and I think that's something you know you learn as you get older I think certainly as you say in an argument or in a heated debate where adrenaline is flowing we often say things we don't mean to people who mean a lot to us you know over the years certainly in, 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 in love life relationships you might have had an argument with your partner where you've said something that you don't really mean that and if you'd stopped to think about that you probably wouldn't have said that mm. but you know in, in the heat of the moment you've said something and we, we sometimes we, we, we talk and think emotionally and not laterally and, and that can be quite dangerous if you're not aware of what you're saying because people will always remember you know what you said but they'll never forget how you make them feel something I'm very impressed about with you as well is that you don't stop you don't seem to ever stop. You seem to just keep going and keep going whilst reflecting at the same time, which I think is a skill. You've now got Rowan Dangerously coming up. I believe there's something else following that as well, involving North and South Poles or something, which is <laughs> getting to that another time. Rowing Dangerously, where was that idea born? Was it born before running Dangerously? Was it born after running Dangerously, during? No, it was born It was born after it. You know, I, I think going back, linking into the mental health as well, I think adventure and challenge and for a purpose is probably one of the biggest things that helps me with my mental health. You know, having that focus, having that purpose, having that sort of line in the sand to work towards mm. is very important for me mentally. You're a goal-orientated person. Yeah, very goal-orientated, but... But also, I think impact is important for me. You know, for me to, to go and run or to go and row, it's not. It's to be honest, it's exciting, but it's not gonna. It's not gonna light up the world or, or make a difference to people's lives. But doing it with a purpose to build a school, that is what really inspires me. You know, I can run or row anywhere I want, any time. But the challenge of using it to to build, you know, to to raise a quarter of a million, half a million, a million, whatever it might be, to go and build a school and to provide opportunity for hundreds of children that would never have that opportunity 
that is um, the biggest driving factor. You know, that's what, what I think about every time I wake up in the morning. How can I help these people? What you have to do, I think, from anyone who, you know, like yourself, anyone out there who is trying to fundraise, fundraising is a very competitive market everybody's raising money it's always for an incredible cause whether it's you know for for children whether it's for cancer whether it's for veterans there's every cause is amazing and it's very difficult to i think when you when you're trying to do major fundraising in the millions you have to spark the imagination of the public you have to do things differently you have to take bigger risks and with bigger risks will come bigger rewards do something that's never been done before that's that's a big statement in itself to do a will first but then to do a will first in a conflict and war zone is, is an even bigger statement and then to do that while trying to build a school and when you put all these ingredients in the pot people especially the media then they start to listen and they think what well, this is quite interesting now mm-hmm. the media and you know, it's tv radio newspapers when you're fundraising, they're really important, not because we want our faces or our name in the headlights, but because you need that awareness. You need people to know what you're doing because you want them to donate or sponsor. The risk aspect is as much about having impact in the global media as much as it is you know, for any other reason, because you, you need to spark the imagination. And by doing that, you have to take greater risks. It's very important as well, I think, nowadays with everything, like you said, going on fundraising-wise, every other person fundraising for a certain charity, which is absolutely amazing. But I think when you are getting into those big, big numbers, those hundreds of thousands, those millions, to have something that somebody can actually look at and say, I helped build that, a school, a home, even like a piece of equipment, a light, a hammer, anything that's very important. I think so. And I think, you know, not that I want to sort of harp on or go down this route, but the charity sector, as much as it does great things, has also got a lot of challenges in. There is a lot of malpractice. Uh, there's a lot of corruption issues. It's, you know, it's, it's well publicized. You know, mm. there's a lot of, uh, you know, I, I want people when they give a pound in a bucket or wherever it might be on, a, on, a, on, a, on an online sponsor page. I want people to know exactly where that pound has gone. This day and age, you know, I, and I'm not having to go at any big charities, but out of every pound, you know, often less than 20, 30% is, is actually going to where it should be going, the aid or where you think it's going, which is incredible. And then, you you know, and I meet, and I'm not finger pointing, but I'll meet executives, board members of charities and they're driving around in flash cars, they're earning six-figure sums. And and whether that's right or wrong, it's not for me to say, but I, I, for me, charity is about giving. It's not about what you're getting. You know, all the charity that I, I work with very closely, which I'll mention, Frontline Children, is a charity that has no salaried staff at all. It's a charity where every penny goes into the pot and I would say 99.9% unless it's maybe a flight to go and deliver the aid is going on on aid Mm. to the children if you can take the donor and the sponsor on that journey and I think that's where things like social media social media the radio tv that's really important because if you use it wisely you know you can show them you can do live feeds from the school you can show them the bricks as they're getting put in and that's a very different sort of perspective. Powerful, isn't it? Very powerful. To see it is yeah. so powerful. I, I say to people, when it's built, if you want to, you know, to, to a major sponsor who might want to donate you know, five, ten thousand pounds to me, I openly say to him, when we put that final brick in that school, I will take you as an expedition leader to Africa if you want to come, you know, pay for your flight, and I will take you out there to the day that school opens. And that's anyone out there. If anyone wants to come, not, not even a manger donor, if you if you want to help and have a real impact, and it might be link me in with a school who wants to do some fundraising, it might be, 
you know, link me in with a major business who wants to support one of the projects, but I will happily take you out there. Every time I go, you're more than welcome to come with me and see first. And yes, it's very dangerous. Yes, it is a conflict zone. But if you want to come in, I want to take you on that journey and, you know, come and support it. Before we round up, I want to just 100% nail down Rowing Dangerously so everybody knows exactly what it is. Just explain the challenge. Yeah, so Rowing Dangerously is my 2019 major expedition. It's a world-first attempt to row what is considered the most dangerous strait of water in the world. It's an area of, of water or ocean between Yemen and the Horn of Africa, Somalia region, called the Bab el-Mandab Straits. It's geopolitically probably the hottest contested uh, you know, a body of water in the world. It's the busiest, one of the busiest shipping lanes in the world. It's in more pirate attacks than any other area of water. It's the biggest route for smuggling of weapons, narcotics, people. It's got a million reasons not to go there, really, uh, to be quite honest. But it is also um, where a lot of these children and, and migrants are being moved around and displaced by war. So for me, it, it, again, it's not so much about the Babel Mandab Straits and that region of water. It's actually what's at either side of that. It's the children that are being displaced. And I know that by doing this project, we'll shine a huge spotlight on it uh, and show people what is going on there. You know, three days ago, 150 people died trying to cross that stretch of water coming from Yemen to Somalia to escape the conflict in Yemen that was me digging around in the archives of the internet to find that information that is not even mainstream news mm. which is incredible when when you think about it really but yeah I hope throughout the the sort of the period when I go which will will be in the last quarter of this year and we sort of don't say the dates for security reasons but when I go out there in the last quarter of 2019 um, I hope to make a huge impact I hope that we are well on our way to building a school and also hope to you know try and inspire the next generation of, of achieving the art of the possible when people will tell you it can't be done and I want people obviously to follow this challenge and hopefully we can get you back on following the challenge oh, that's absolutely wonderful um, if people do want to find you and follow Rowan Dangerously and seeing how all the preps going I know the boat is here now you've got the boat yeah, yeah, it's arrived um, I saw that on your Instagram how do people find you follow you and follow this challenge yeah so um, my social media handle across all platforms is at mr jordan wiley you can look at the my website is jordanwiley.org or there is a rowing dangerously website rowingdangerously.co.uk and yeah i think you know i try and be as interactive uh, with possible so you know feel free to reach out i can very happy to share advice tips my life lessons learn um, but also i'd just like to finish uh, say a big a big thank you to anyone who has sponsored any of my expeditions uh, and especially the forthcoming one rowing dangerously because without people who you know to get to the other side of the world with a boat it costs a lot of money um, and people have to take a punt on you have to take a risk on you you know i always try to provide great value back to uh, anyone who supports me um, so a huge thank you because there are a lot of companies out there who do a lot of good in the world and, and help people like myself and you and other adventurers and, and athletes. And uh, so really grateful for that. Um, but no, um, and thank you, a big thank you to you for giving me oh, some airtime. Thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate this. And uh, I better let you go now because you've got some people to go and find. Yeah, happy hunting for me. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Cheers, man. Thank you, mate. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. A truly inspirational guy. Thank you so much to Jordan for coming on the podcast. If you haven't rated five stars yet, please go and get that done. It really helps us out in the charts. Make sure you subscribe as well. And if you can, write us a nice little review. That would be brilliant.